I'm John Billingsley, and you are listening to Beyond Track Podcast. What are some thoughts of yours towards the whole, like, is Star Trek getting too woke? The idea that a show that exists to push the boundaries in terms of what is acceptable and what is it, and what it should be like just part of our human condition, which mm-hmm. is, you know, everybody on the fucking ship. Everybody on the fucking ship, as long as you're nice. To me, it's like you can't be too woke. Yeah, we that, got the Boimler the, maneuver. The Boimler maneuver was a vital part of that entire episode. Oh my god! But just Man. seeing your head blocking the right part and just the legs being held out of context, uh, people are going to look at the thumbnail and be like, "What the fuck?" I mean, well, just, I mean, hopefully they've seen the episode. Yes, <laughs> yes, hopefully they have, because. Welcome back to Beyond Trek Podcast. I'm Dag. In the house with me, I have my esteemed co-hosts, Renzo and Big J. We're here today to talk to you about the latest episode of Star Trek Lower Decks, I Excretus, episode 8 of season 2. This is your official spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I really enjoyed this episode, guys. This was one of the most playful and yet totally in-universe episodes that I've seen. I've got one for you. This episode also had a smorgasbord of references. It, it's true. As all Lower Decks episodes seem to. Smorgasbord. But, but like Borg the Swedish. Yeah, it's, it's Swedish. Swedish. It's Swedish. Oh, geez. We're going to see no, the, so, the Swedish chef is going to show up. No, so last episode I was saying that I really thought that was my favorite episode of the show and that mm-hmm. I thought that, that was really good. Now I have to say it again. I really <laughs> fucking like this episode. I thought it was really good. It's see? always one of my favorites now. Yeah. And I agree with you. Better. I think last week I was like, eh, and you were like, I really like this one. Now I'm like, this episode was amazing. Um, for for those of you that didn't see it, the premise is that Cerritos is being subject to a series of tests in which all of the crew have to sort of reverse their roles, go into these hollow pods, and experience uh, what it's like to be in the other shoes. So uh, our favorite lower deckers get a chance at command, while our favorite commanders have to do lower deck work. Um, and each of these tests is graded, and uh, it just it just devolves into hijinks and um, wow, borderline ratings commission f- <laughs> breaches. Uh, if if Renzo's background, it, it's not it's not a 1980s television antenna, my friends. Those are legs; they are spread. <laughs> and uh, oh, Renzo is blocking the official Boimler maneuver. So, this kind of felt like undercover boss, maybe. I'm with you. So just as far as the premise is concerned, right? It makes sense that Starfleet's going to have like inspectors out there that go out and make sure that ships are following the rules or behaving Mm -hmm. well. All that makes perfect sense. We've in fact seen hints of it in other episodes too, right? Right. Uh, But here, like an extensive, the whole crew gets a drill instructor that's just going to make sure everything is going ship shape. Works for me. I even thought that the the choice for the race of the person running the test made perfect sense. Pandaren? Oh, yes. From, yes, a Pandaren. From, from the animated yeah, series. Yeah. Yep. Right, exactly. Just Who another was a one consultant of those. the last time around, and this time it's another consultant. So it's it's definitely in keeping <laughs> with their tradition. You know, we, uh, just, to, just to digress a tiny little bit, 
Um, two weeks ago, we were doing a Star Trek Adventures game wherein we had to save some people, and one of the, the, the species was um, their arms were disconnected as if met by maglev. And I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's Pandaren. Because <laughs> okay. they had their arms independent of their body. Wasn't really there cool. a dude in the recent, the most recent Suicide Squad whose superpower was that his two arms like came off and he could move them slowly and do things yes. with them? It, yes, I didn't he's Nathan Fillion's character. Nathan Fillion was oh, the actor for man. it too. Yeah, it was so uh, the, the second one, which they called the Suicide Squad, as opposed to the first one, which was just Suicide Squad. And I think uh, Renzo, didn't you? Well, you probably seen it. Maybe both of you. The recent Voltron uh, that was. That was on Netflix. Netflix Legendary yeah, Defender. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. The I can't remember. If the, we the could get all was... seven seasons, yeah. But Shido's arm is held by Madle- Maglev. Yeah. I know this because I'm dating the incarnation of Shido. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, but right, yeah, so there was just so much to talk about. The There's also a lot to break down because each of these. Each of these holopods has a specific mission objective, and even the names of the mission objectives is... Straight-up episode references. Yep. For the most part. And you can almost see that in, in Jay's background. Jay's background also has another big secret in it. I'm just going to spoil it right now. We get to see get Jennifer's Jay's real name. name. Yeah. If, if maybe they just... Maybe Shireyan is actually, like, her, her Andorian name, and Jennifer's just what Mariner calls her. No, or she's sh- not the only one who calls her that, too. Remember the red shirts yeah. called her that, too? That's true. That's very true. She, she could be half human, half or, or she works like a whole lot of people in the States do. They have, like, their, their Chinese or their Korean name, and then they just have the name that they go by to their white friends, mm. right? <laughs> yeah. mm. Plenty okay. of people have those, right? Like, I had a buddy in high school whose name was Nemesio. It's a, it's a very Cuban name, right? Like... Mm-hmm. I could pronounce it just fine. It's not an issue for me to pronounce it. But to anybody who is like the white American types, you just go, just call me Nate. As right. As somebody yeah. who works for a multinational company and has to have meetings internationally, I am sending a lot of emails to you know James Saolu Wong or something like that, and they go by James on the call, but that is not their name. Right. It, it's a kindness to those people who can't get their name pronunciations right. It's like comma, it's courtesy to try, right? But when honestly, you know, white people just need to try harder. <laughs> well, just Rinto, as soon as you said that guy's name, I'm thinking, oh no, yeah, we got to nickname that. That's right. Well, I'm not doing I, that every day. I, so it's it's Miami, right? So like there are tons yeah. of like really traditional Hispanic names. Like you'll get like a Jeronimo, which is my middle name, but no one knew that because I hid the fuck out of that. But <laughs> other people had names like Anibal, which is Annibal or Hannibal, yeah. but nobody called him that. It was just Ant instead, even though there's no T in his name, huh. right? So yeah, 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 just nicknames happen if you don't want to really struggle with people mispronouncing your name. So that's probably what it is. Shireyan is just probably her Andorian name, and when she's talking to her Federation standard fruddies, it's uh, it's Jen. So her, her name got gentrified. Gentrified. Wow. Right, but so I mean, at the same time, the top of the episode, all we though. ever see is last names on here anyway. So that's true. Right. The, her her first name may be something that has like a gen sound in it. So it kind of like she just adapts it. Okay. Right. So starting the episode then, finally. Beautiful scene on what appears Beautiful. to be a cryostasis uh, tube from the 20th century. 
or it could just be another satellite that just looks like one. Yep. But you've got the uh, the four lower deckers just standing on the hull of it, admiring the view of this beautiful nebula, uh, and they basically finish their repairs, and uh, they're about to hail the Cerritos to go back, and the Cerritos gets a distress call from a USS Bakersfield, which I'm sure made Dag very happy that they referenced my hometown. <laughs> Bakersfield uh, is on the map. Yeah. But Why yeah. can't we get a like USS Cincinnati or something? Because they're California class. Oh, when you man. get an Ohio yeah. class, you can have your city. Yeah. <laughs> the Bakersfield nice. is stuck in a temporal causality loop. Woohoo! So they receive that message. Bakersfield is actually that the Bakersfield is stuck in a temporal causality loop. And then they receive another message that the Bakersfield is caught in a temporal yep, causality yep, loop. Yeah. So they Renzo three, go, oh, three, three, yeah. three, 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 three. <laughs> so they just warp out they don't even bother to pick up the lower deckers they leave them on the hull of that little uh, satellite I need to remark gone. I need to remark that Bakersfield being stuck in a temporal causality loop is actually true it's been in the 50s since the 50s also really <laughs> wow never been there never seen it but if we have any listeners from Bakersfield you might know how we feel if you're offended by this remark let us know in the comments yes please do I so, yeah. see some pictures of this stuck in the 50s, but... <laughs> yeah, so Mariner's like, how much air do we have left in these suits? <laughs> Six is the ship going to warp that close later. to people kind of cause a problem, or was it... No, nah, I don't Maybe it's so. just artistic license and it wasn't actually that close, but I would or think both. having a, a warp I mean, bubble formed around you would not be good when the ship just yeets right out of there. I'd like to think that there, there's proximity alerts on the ship that would be like you're too close to another thing, you can't form a warp bubble. Okay. Or honestly, it may have a hull conformal like warp bubble sort of like how the Enterprise E's shields were in Nemesis. It just hugs right along the edge Could so be that right. you can not worry about it as much. Could be. The only problem with that is then I would get super technical and be like the whole geometry of a warp bubble that configures like that would put parts of the ship out of temporal sync with each other. Where yes. if you just have a bubble that extends beyond the ship, then most of the ship is in the same temporal sync. I can see it with shields, yes, but warp bubble. bubble. The fact that we <laughs> all got that, wow. All right, so. <laughs> yeah, we, we need lives. Out goes the Cerritos, <laughs> and they realize that they've got to conserve air when we come back to them. They've just been beamed aboard of the Cerritos. Uh, after six hours out there, and they're huddled together, like barely holding on, clinging to each other, uh, and they're getting put <laughs> blankets in sick bay. They're going to get treated for lung trauma, and uh, the lower deckers are not happy. So, Doctor Tana's. <laughs> I wouldn't be if I was no. stuck out there in the cold depths of space for six I, hours i mean it downright seems irresponsible to leave crew on it on a, on outside and in space in the void it's well, almost it, like it that's an important explained. plot point yeah yeah i love i love the blankets though because these are the they have like that gold uh hexagon it's almost like a thermal lining it's yeah. i just love it I mean, so those those blankets that they have in the real world that look like they're aluminum floor or whatever, they're actually really, really good for reflecting back in temperature. So it's probably just some sort of like expansion of that tech. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it. Cool. Anyways, so Freeman and Mariner have a bit of a yelling match about being abandoned. Uh, definitely some disrespect being shown, but really makes sense. 
Uh, Ransom responds with that they wouldn't have been left behind had they properly signed out their magnetic boots, as protocol dictates. Uh, yes, they didn't even know they were out there. I, I don't know about that. I think they knew that they were out there. They just probably have some sort of like computer check that makes sure that there's nobody doing like a spacewalk uh, if the boots are checked out kind of thing. Right. Uh, but yeah, so Mariner responds that it wouldn't have mattered. You guys see Lower Deckers as, as like disposable, so you would have just gone anyways. So, <laughs> And Shax is like... That's that- when the captain tells the crew that they're going to have a drill instructor aboard, so they need to like shape up and not make the ship look bad. So. But isn't there a moment where like Shax is like, that's totally not true, you're all equal, and Ransom's like, dude, their replicator only gives them one piece of pizza at a time. Yeah, one <laughs> one slice of pizza at a time. It's portion control. The lower decks has to go through portion control. You got to make sure the top bunkers don't fall into the lower bunkers. So you know. Oh, jeez! Could you imagine I mean, that? Really being on the the bottom bunk and just having it collapse on you? I'm sure they're made out of something pretty sturdy. They're probably fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they are. You know what that reminds me of? Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, when the Excelsior is hit by that energy wave from the exploding Praxis, and you see all these... People flying cr- out of bunks. Crewmen, yeah, yeah, flying out of their bunks. Yeah, so... Those are the lower deckers. <laughs> yep, that's what they were. So, everybody, Ta'ana, the lower deckers, the bridge crew, everybody shows up at the... Uh, I think it's the storage bay, because they've got a ton of these simulator holopods all over. And they've got a very energetic and excitable um, Pandronian named Shari Yin Yem, who's giving like a briefing. She gives a motivational speech, tells everyone that, you know, you're going to be tested in situations that previous Starfleet crews have all experienced. Uh, there's a finite amount of points in every single mission, and you can exceed, or you can succeed. You can, you can exceed expectations. You can do great. Um, but to make the evaluation better, she's going to flip things on their heads. All the bridge crew are going to act as lower deckers, and the lower deckers in particular are going to be acting as senior officers. So we see the excitement. We see Rutherford being like chief engineer, and Tendi's like chief medical officer, and then it's Captain Boimler and Commander Mer- Beckett, which seems like a fun little do like mm. switch there. Who's who's XO? Remember, number one. Well, aren't they kind of being thrown into this green because? they're putting them into command and leadership type situations, but they probably really haven't had that training. Whereas the command officers being a lower decker is, uh, is an easier jump from them than a lower deck, lower decker being like a, you know, command officer. Sure. Might just, I mean, okay. That's yeah. Probably the point though, right? Like it's, okay. so remember the choices that, Rutherford had, the choices that Tendi had were not technical challenges, they weren't tests of their experience, they were tests of their morality, right? So Tendi right. was supposed to just, we'll get to there, but they're, they're yeah, not yeah. all just like things where experience matters, it's just about like your ability to make a choice. Okay. So. It's not like, good morning, we're going to do the Kobayashi Maru. The what? Right. Although that was on the list. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. Crap. Did, uh, right. did anybody else like think the Pandaren's outfit kind of looked like that Superhero. It was the same thing Ben was wearing. Oh, from from, from the TAS. episode in TAS. Yeah, it's the same it thing. Exactly the same. That's great because I almost saw. Have you seen the boys? Yeah. yeah. 
Do you yeah. know the I can't remember the superhero's name. She's the the new person oh, yes, who gets recruited yes, and she yes, has the power of like, like light. The light one. Starlight. Yeah, it looks a lot like it. Starlight. Starlight. That's her Is name. Starlight. Starlight. Yeah. Okay. No. I was just like, man, how did she get Starlight's like pantsuit? That's great. But it's great that you went and checked that out in TAS, and it's basically the same thing. And I love that they brought uh, a Pandaren back. I was so happy about that. Yeah, the only thing that's a little bit different is the Bem, the previous Pandaren, had like little ribbings on his shoulders. Hmm. But otherwise, they, they look basically the same. So. Well, it's been 100 years. Little ribbings have probably fallen out of style. He's a northern Bem. Or I mean, He's a, a northerner. Northern Get yeah. out. <laughs> Get out! Yeah, yeah. Jay, one of these All days right, we're going to pay for you to have like full Romulan prosthetics and then you'll know what it's like. Cool. <laughs> or just so, have the face tattoos like uh, Miro. Okay, sorry. Crews start to enter their pods for their like early things. Freeman is like, eh, we're going to have an easy time, just like Jay was saying. Doing the easy stuff that lower deckers do, no stress. We'll be great. Mariner goes into her pod, finds herself in the mirror universe. Immediately... Uh, we see one of the more disturbing scenes in the entire episode with Miklimo like as a, like a bird on a stick as like a pet. Yeah, because that's, fucked up. In, that's in what some, the mirror universe does. Some BDSM gear. That's uh, what I saw. The, yeah, the obligatory. Yeah, the eye covering and all. Yep. And I I like how the uniforms still seem like they were more out of the uh, the TOS yep. era. They are. No, I okay, think they're okay. supposed to be. The, the, okay, okay. Yeah, because uh, there were course. some period-specific cases, like when they were on uh, Star yes. Trek, they were on the Enterprise for the Spock thing, and mm-hmm. yep. So they're they're period-specific. Okay, I, I get that, and of course, they had Boimler with the obligatory Mirror Universe goatee because it's not the Mirror Universe if you don't have a goatee. And well, just, Mariner's own costume is very unique too, right? Like she's yeah. got the the skirt and the sash that Uhura wore. She's got that like upper arm, arm bracelet piece. thing that Same Sato thing. had on, mm-hmm. right? Like Hoshi had. Like it's it's really cool, and I actually really dig even the vest that the dudes are wearing. I'm like, I want that costume. That's a cool costume. Yeah. So did, did yeah, you notice? Did. did you notice Billups? Billups had a had a had a chin strap, but no mustache because in our Which universe he has a mustache. So it flipped. Oh. It flipped Billups. <laughs> yeah. And then Billups is also, just last episode, we find out Billups is practically ace, if not explicitly. And in this episode, he's like, I just, I love everything we do because it gets me so horny all the time. He's like, oh boy, Mirror Billups, whore. <laughs> so here's where we learn something interesting about these training situations, right? Mariner wants to be creative about how she does this. She wants to, like, take a different path to a different path. And the thing immediately, like, red wall face into it points deducted you lose 24 percent of your possible points right like mm-hmm. they're not looking for or at least it appears that the test is not looking for them to come up with a solution they're looking for them to play out the solution the one that they should know the one that worked in the past or something right which is atypical for how you would test like competency well yes because you're only giving one path it is the this is how it was played and we want to see you replay it instead of going off and doing your own thing, going off book. Why the test was like that, I don't it's know. It's revealed later. Okay, did I miss that? Okay. Yes. Jeez. Yep. Maybe. It's super revealed later. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so she runs into Shaxx, and Shaxx, like, 
tries to challenge her and she just defiantly challenges him back, which works perfectly. They move on. And then she runs into Boimler, who is like monologuing and like evil villain laughing with the mustache and the beard, a really bad mustache, uh, who mm-hmm. immediately figures out that Mariner is in fact a fake because she salutes with the wrong arm. And with the facial hair that Boimler had, what I thought was funny about that is it. Now, don't looked, forget his chest hair, too. Right, and the chest hair. It, it looked exactly like what facial hair and chest hair would look like on Boimler. You know, not really much, just a little little thing like he fell in some dirt and kind of, you know, you know those, those scrawny guys that can't really. It's the edgy soul patch here, my dude. He's just got, he's just got that, uh, that shaggy goatee right there, man. Yep. I get it. I'm, well, I mean, I don't like actually get it because I've never had that problem, but I understand what you mean. Really? You've never <laughs> had a problem growing a beard, Renzo? Ever? <laughs> I was I was, ex- I was, was shaving freshman year of high school. I was, was born with a beard! <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the luxurious beard came in very early for me. What beard oil do you use? Uh, I'll show you later. I don't want to reveal my secrets. Not on the oh, I wish I could grow a beard like that. Lucky. But no, so we finish. So Mariner gets caught. Mariner gets agonized and ends her simulation. She comes out. She gets zero points, and the the instructor is like, "Oh, don't worry, you'll get more points on the next one." And then we switch to Tendi, who's doing her first one, which is medical ethics, and it's basically a replay of that episode in TNG where Worf gets his back snapped and just wants to be killed off. Name of the episode, Dag? Ethics. Is it? Yeah. Ooh, okay, cool, cool. I'm gonna have Works to for me. look that. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look that one up. Go ahead. I, I trust Dag. I trust Dag. So I'm yeah. Sure he, well, yeah, he's the trivia master. I'm sure so Tendi is right. talking to a, to a Klingon who just wants to be like executed, and he is like, "Oh you, no, I, I that's not right." Points deducted. Uh, here, let me use a hypo spray to put you out of your misery painlessly. More points deducted. <laughs> Take the sacrifice knife. <laughs> And it's then a, she's like, "It's a cutlutch." It's a what? The sacrificial knife is called a cutlutch. Yeah. <laughs> now he's just showing yeah, off. Yes, I am. <laughs> Anyways, so the Klingon falls off the side. Other doctors who are in the same like surgery costumes that were used early in TNG come up, and they're like, "Oh no, we're gonna have to pronounce them alive." <laughs> oh no! And then she fails like the when she doesn't die in time. Uh, Those outfits that they had, uh, that the doctor, doctors were wearing, jeez, I can't talk tonight. Uh, I believe the first time we saw those was in season two of TNG when Picard was heart on surgery. his way for his, uh, yeah, his heart surgery. And, uh, okay. So, well, they even uh, comment on something that I think is really cool. They comment on the fact that Klingons have, like, extra organs and a really strong heart and all that stuff. The Brock Hulu-like yes. system. Oh, that's really cool. Love the fact that they remember to bring that up because Klingons are notoriously hard to kill. So True. I want to I want to pause for a moment, and I don't know uh, if you're if you're listening to us on Anchor or any podcast. Check us out on YouTube because we have images from the episode that we reference and as our cool backgrounds. And so we talk about these images often. And I want to point one out right now. Right after Tendi fails her sim. There's a screen that pops up that says Starfleet Simulations, and it has a grid of five people who are taking this test as well. And at the bottom, you've got Merp, which is the name of, like, the fish-looking guy that we've seen occasionally. And his scenario is Teleportation Death Tag. 
And I feel like that is a reference to Realm of Fear, where Barkley has to basically grab something out of the, the transporter and bring it back to life. Do you, remember, do you remember that episode? Yeah. Yeah. So teleportation, death tag. So you have to play tag with something to save it. Did you have a Which, different idea? So I actually thought it was the Sona in Insurrection. Remember how they had those little drones flying around tagging people? Those with were things? those were the ISO ISO isolinear tags. Uh, yeah. Isolitic. Isolinear. Uh, they had isolitic yeah. weapons, but isolinear tags. That could, right. Yes. I thought yes. it was that. I thought it was like a matter of like dodging the death tags. Okay. You get teleported away. See, that's but, not bad. All right. That's not bad. Then you've got uh, number four, Dahe, Extreme Engineering, which could be any number of things that Star Trek has has pulled out in you know thirty second fi- fixes at the end of the episode. They just need more Trekno babble to make it make sense. All right, Arjun is fighting off a triple infestation, so that's one of at least three, maybe four episodes, or the short trek. That's one I'm referencing as, as an oh, okay. episode. Yeah, the yeah. short trek, uh, troubles with tribbles, troubles with tribbles, troubles and tribble, trials and tribulations, and yes. then more troubles, more tribbles, more tribbles. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Then Tendi, of course, number two with a 24 percent fail on medical ethics, doing ethics, and then Barnes showing a 73 percent active with whale rescue. Love that. <laughs> so just Star Trek four, fun times. Um, and there's a lot of these references. Like, if you're looking at Jay's background up in the upper yep. right, he's got the little clip, clips of names of episodes uh, that have been actual episodes of Star Trek. Um, when that when that scene flashed, I rewind, pause, just went down the list with my buddy who I was watching with being like, that's an episode, that's an episode. Mm-hmm. That's literally the name of the episode. Right. I like, had a lot oh, of fun with it. The only one that didn't make sense to me was the Q and the Q, but they did the Q and the Gray, so I guess that could be a thing, but eh. Um, no, no, no. Maybe the Q and the Q is some sort of like, the Q want to mate with you the way they did with Voight, with uh, Janeway, and then they end up mating with each other, so it's the Q in the Q kind of thing. Gonna pass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it fits the references on the episode real well. Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. so, so our next one is Mariner on the Old West Planet Challenge. I love that the houses that are rendered here are stage houses just like they were rendered in the TOS episode of yes. the name of which I can't remember, but I think it's the one where they had to like they had to go up against the Melkotians. But I don't remember what the name of that episode was. Anyway, it's, oh, old, yeah, it's the I, Old I, West and they're hmm. part of the, the Earp gang or whatever. And, and it even the looked gun. right. Thank you. Oh, I knew as soon as you said it, I would, I would know. Yeah, Spectre of the Gun, and it looked like, even in that episode, it almost looked like it was obviously on a sound stage, and yep. in this in this training simulator, it was the same way. Yep. But like, so again, we run into the same situation before, where Mariner's trying to be like cagey about it, not walk headfirst into it, and mm-hmm. keeps getting points deducted because she walks into things she's not supposed to do. So she goes, Did she get points deducted? And she's like, I didn't even do anything yet. <laughs> and then the yeah, holographic it, horse doesn't like her either. It's very uh, oh, yeah, on, a, on a track, right? Like if you think of video games, right? You have open world video games and you have games that have a yeah. very narrow track. This mm-hmm. is definitely supposed to be a thing where it's a very narrow track. And if you try and deviate, it punishes you. And in this case, she just got unlucky with the horse. The horse did not like her. So she gets kicked off and the horse stomps her to death and she fails. A holographic horse. I'm glad they had the safeties on because that could have ended up a lot worse than it did. 
Well, and then it, it's okay. So you're you're right. Is the um, these are based off of past missions, past scenarios. You're replaying something that happened. You're not trying to do a choose your own adventure kind of thing. That's at not least what in this, is. this, at least in the way it's being run by Shari, it's not. Right. It's not a choose your own adventure. It's not a solve the problem, except for Boimwares. Boimwares seems to. We'll get to it. We'll get okay. to it. Yep. Yeah, I don't want to spoil this before we get to it, but. Alright, so the next one that we get to is Rutherford, the first one of his that we're seeing. He is in progress. It's called The Good of Many. And it's mm. very clearly Spock's moment at the end of Wrath of Khan. Uh, but the moment that we're struggling with is whereas uh, Spock immediately takes Scotty's gloves, uh, Rutherford doesn't remember to do that, doesn't think to do that, so he's burning his hand trying to open the door uh, to get into the Dilithium Crystal Chamber. One nitpick I have about that. The, the scenario was great. I love that you know immediately it's from that from Rathacon, but the gloves that Spock put on, that was like the, the worker's gloves for what he was about to do in the thing. I don't even know what the hell that thing was, but for Rutherford, it made it like, well, he was supposed to have the gloves because the door handle was hot, but that wasn't that wasn't the case in uh, on Wrath of Khan. And here's a question that I've got for you is what is that thing? After all this time, I've never quite understood the, 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 the thing that Spock turns the lid off of and gets his hands all in. So what is that supposed to be? So I know, I know this may not be a serious issue for you, Jay, given your delicately smooth uh, palate there. But uh, I find myself having to do this every month or so when my beard clogs the drain and I have to get the, the gloves on and replay Star Trek 2 so I can get the hair out of the drain so the shower will, you know, de-drain. And that's what Spock was doing. He had to clean out the shower drain. But it's not just your hair you're pulling out. You're pulling out your partners too, right? So there, it's it's a team effort there to clog oh, that. Oh man, uh, yeah, the, the hair. But no, so Jay, the in-universe answer is that's the dilithium crystal chamber, right? So in the Enterprise D, we have the warp core. It's a big vertical thing, and then in the very centers where the dilithium is. On this ship, remember the Enterprise originally had a horizontal warp core. It was long, stretched throughout the engineering section. Right. But then in this movie, we start seeing that it's now vertical for the first time. You can actually see it in some of the screenshots of this episode, right? Um, but the chamber here for the reaction is still a separate component, and all he went in there to do was realign some dilithium crystals to get power output out of the thing. And I I get that. Like, I, I understand what it was supposed to be, or what were things supposed to be, but with the the dilithium, it, it handles that matter-antimatter reaction uh, so that they don't actually touch together because matter antimatter it would cause a big explosion so they're going through the dilithium crystals well why would you have that reaction go away from the warp core wherever into this thing and so i just want to interject there the anti the matter uh -huh. antimatter reaction doesn't run through the crystals the crystals are the power source that powers that gives the ship enough power to be able to channel the matter antimatter reaction into uh, the oh, cells we've all got different interpretations of this then. Yeah. It, well, but I mean, the matter-antimatter reaction is just an energy source. Right. And the energy source... And the moderator is the dilithium. Right. So, 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 I think Big J's actually writer than you are on this one, Dag. 
Big J, you're wrong in that matter and antimatter can't touch. They have to touch, otherwise you get no power, right? But the way that they touch is by dilithium being in the middle with a structure of crystalline structure, something that's very specific and unique, and through the structure is how matter and antimatter meet. When they annihilate, they release energy, that's the radiation source, mm -hmm. and through the crystals, it generates plasma. That's how it, what it's literally turning the crystals into plasma. Right. And that's where you get warp plasma from or EPS plasma from, right? Yep. I can go grab my TNG technical manual. It's over there somewhere. But that's oh, basically it. how yeah. it works. That's basically I've... how it works. In this case, the crystals had fallen out of alignment. They must be in a specific structure and order. We see that in a TOS episode even where they have mm -hmm. to replace the, the crystal assembly. Uh, and Spock just goes in there and is like, "Shit, let me put these in an order that will work or in a." structure that will work to generate enough power to just give us warp for a minute. Ten seconds of warp and we're good. We just need right. enough power to do it once. And that's all it was. So it doesn't okay. have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough. Okay, right. So I think that maybe the the, the problem that I'm having or what I'm picturing is it, it doesn't mean that the dilithium crystal chamber has to be inside the, the warp core like on the galaxy class it, it could very well be over it's probably in its other better room. it's probably better inside of the actual like vertical core but remember this was a, a refit ship right so they yes. may not have been able to completely redesign things they couldn't move this bit that the system was already there or something okay or maybe they just hadn't thought of it yet right like they sure didn't right. have the tech for it okay yeah All so right. you're right though you're right about one thing for sure getting into that chamber in co or sorry in star trek 3 didn't, or Star Trek 2 did not two. require the gloves because it was right. a, a not a sliding door a rotating door or whatever nor the puppy nor the puppy sorry Tufix is killing me when he just starts going to town on his toy well now he's trying to murder his squirrel toy he's like whipping Aww. it to and fro Damn. but uh yeah so it's like a rotating door like the ones that you have in hotels and such remember yes. it just kind of like rotates one section for him that would suck for stopping radiation A but that's how he got into the chamber in Star Trek 2. Yeah. Here, it has a much more logical door that's like cylindrical or whatever, but uh, okay. you need to twist the, the knob. Yeah. He doesn't have the gloves on to twist the knob, so it just burns him. So he yep. puts on his shoes, he gets in there, and then he's running out of time because he wasted too much time in that, and boom goes the Enterprise and all the uh, beautiful appearances. Like, there's such good background details in these shots. So I really liked scene. how they made the Enterprise look. In that shot, the refit Constitution class. Then it goes boom. Kaboom. Yep. As enterprises do, they explode. And so Rutherford fails another mission. Which I'm sure was kind of a. He doesn't like to fail. He he likes to be perfect, so that was probably very much a downer for him. But it is the it's, first time that we've seen a Constitution class refit on screen since 1984. I don't think so. I think you see a wreck of one in Best of Both Worlds. Like I've heard the that there's of a wreck that. of one. Yeah, but maybe Quaylor too. But somewhere in TNG, I'm sure you see some wreck oh. of the Constitution class. Uh, no, Dag. 19, 1992, Undiscovered Country, or the Deep Space Nine episode where they travel back in time in Trials and Tribulations too. Oh well, okay. He's well. That one's the well. That's original. not the refit. So we're talking Jay, about the refit. No, right. okay. Jay is more right than you are. 1991. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was 91, okay. Yeah, I knew it was around 91, 92. All right. So, right. Cool. So, cut to Boimore on his first uh, outing, and he gets Borg encounter. He does not look too bothered by it, uh, but he ends up in a Borg cube. 
He looks around. He gets challenged by a drone. He's having fun with the laser from the I-beam. Whatever. Boimler's a kid. He's having fun with it. He shoots one or two. Phaser stops working. Uh, throws the phaser. And then bolts. He finds this, like, very best of both worlds. I think is when we see them, like, baby Borgs in a in a maturation chamber, mm -hmm. I think is what we end up learning that they're called. Yep. No, that, that was, um... Uh, that was the when season two, when Q. Q who? Uh, oh, is it Q who? Okay. Uh, Q, okay, yeah, Q who was when he introduced them to the Borg, that Borg cube, and Riker and Worf went on the cube to kind of look around and investigate. Jay, you're just nailing it today. And that's where, yeah, I, I don't know. It's this rare thing where, like, my memory actually works. Um, so, yeah, and that and was the, the Borg maturation chamber, I which. I want to give Renzo cred. Uh, wreckage of a Constitution class was seen in the Best of Both Worlds Part Two. Yeah. Are you sure there's not one in Quailor Two as well? Like that seems like it would have been there as uh, well. But... Quailor Two was Gambit. Yeah. Is not listed yeah. as one of those episodes. Okay. All right. Holographic so recreation see... of Bridge in Relics, and that's the last yes. Constitution class we see in uh, in TNG. Did, did you Did you guys get how when Boimler was doing his Borg thing? That the uh, uh, the music that was being played was uh, the same from Best of Both Worlds when uh, oh and in the Wrath of Khan episode or section they also used music from the movie too like yeah. they went into the archives for the music on this episode and I love that. yeah they did so anyways Boymore finds his escape he rips the thing off the hinges he falls through finds an escape sphere out he goes and mission accomplished score seventy nine percent. Boyens is not so happy with that. Not good enough for him. So he does the whole like time loop, relearning something and getting every attempt in. Just keeps doing it, doing it slightly better each time. This time he saves the babies that he found in the maturation chamber. He does the same escape path, goes out the same cube. Eighty-three percent. Still not good enough. So repeat, repeat. He just keeps getting better. Keeps taking more Borg with him uh, until he finally uh, is improving it some. It's I just like a great they, montage. And it's it so Boymore. It is so Boymore. Yep. He's got to do that that one extra thing to get the uh, that 2%. I'm really glad that they brought back and made that reference to the, the whole maturation chamber thing, which they did the first time they had the Borg. And I, I get when you have a new thing, you, you do a thing, but then after the fact, you're thinking, ah, uh, you know... The, the Borg don't reproduce this way to, to have little children. They assimilate with the with the thing. So, of course, that's why we never saw that again. But, but that's referenced by Voyager stuff. Right. They they do. So here's my question, though, is if, if we were to say that that was not something that they just decided to change, kind of like the trill. Remember the first time we saw the trill in, in TNG? Yep. The weird head pieces. Than, right, right. Uh, so they they change stuff. So if this Borg maturation chamber is still the thing, why is it? If you if you assimilate by doing the the pokey things from your like, you know, Wolverine fist. Yeah. To to, to what occasion would you have babies on there? When you assimilate a baby and then you want to maturate them to mature them, to age them faster than their normal timing would. 
that's the maturation chamber. It's not to assimilate them. That being said, you're right. The way that Borg assimilate definitely changed from, from time that we saw them to another time. Early TNG well, uh, assimilation was just like, here, let me stick this thing on the side of your head. By Voyager, it's mostly coming out of their skin. I have yeah. a I have a funny answer, and I have a okay. dark answer. Oh, let's hear the funny one first. So the funny answer is, this test hasn't been upgraded since 2365. Okay. that's the funny answer they just haven't updated it since 2365 when the first encounter came i want to hear the dark one now the the dark answer is that when you assimilate entire worlds that includes people who are with child right and you're not going to want a drone have to deal with gestation so you use the bashir maneuver and to be nice about it to to beam out the the youngling and mature it to be a drone but i mean if you're going to go after an entire civilization that is a that's a thing that has to be dealt with i think that you're right i never for whatever reason i never considered that that when you assimilate a planet of course there are going to be babies of course there are going to be mothers with child i i don't know i i guess i didn't make the connection before and it makes total sense that when they do assimilate these you know, these babies, they've got to have something to, to put them in because they are not going to fit in the, the alcoves yet, so they stick them in a drawer. And again, I would expect that these things probably mature the, the, the baby, the infant, faster than normal would. The idea being that develop them in the drones faster. Oh, sure. So, yeah. I mean, we kind of see this with the twins that they got in Voyager, right? Like, they had also been assimilated mm-hmm. at a very young age, but their intelligence in, like, from the cube and all that was far more than what their age would allow, right? So, right. clearly they'd been educated by the Borg, essentially. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it makes sense, but it's not something you're going to see every time you go on a cube, because you're not digging around in the area that has all the maturation chambers, so yeah. I mean, it, just, it may yeah. just not come up. Okay. Okay, and so not every not every Borg ship might may have that right. feature, and I mean because we see a lot of like the Borg are in the in the areas Modular. that they're yeah in the areas that they're operating, they're going to be more specialized towards those areas. And if you happen to assimilate a large percentage of the population that is in such a way, um, they probably offload certain things. There might be nursery ships that we've never seen in in the Borg. That just I find that's that their idea job. awful. I'm terrified of all of this. <laughs> but the Borg is a big part of this episode, so we move forward. What oh, would yes. a Borg daycare look like? I mean, would it be like a, a they triangle ship? Or they a... would just sit there. The kids would just sit there. There's no running around and having fun. That's inefficient. They're just sitting there growing older. Yep. That's just Welcome so to the Matrix. Morbid, yeah. Welcome right, so to Costco. To next... I love you. Cut to our next one. And here we've got Mariner uh, in a scenario called Naked Time. Obvious. Oh, boy. <laughs> which is a reference to a TOS and a TNG episode make called The Naked Now. Yep. So, right. The Psy 2000 got, virus. What was the Love Mankind reference for? Was that in The Naked Time as well? Did they have these graffiti on the wall? There was graffiti in it, for sure. I don't remember if the actual okay. writing was that specific thing. Might have I been. Don't think- it was just to me i think it was just unlegible graffiti yeah but again how cool would it be to have some kind of well okay i'll just go ahead and finish it what how cool would it be to have some kind of virus going around that just makes everyone 
want to have orgies and Big walk J, around you're the one freaking out about my background after like three seconds. Remember, well, the poly polyone intoxication is not heteronormative. You will have men chasing after you too. Okay. All right. All right. Right. Yeah. So like, didn't think of that either. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it may not be somebody's like favorite day if they aren't interested in both. If they have both chasing after them afterwards, so it might not be so much fun for you. So the idea is kind of like a dog chasing a car. You wouldn't know what to do with one if you caught it. That's like what this. Well, speaking of dogs and catching cars, uh, yeah. Mariner walks right into the mess, and <laughs> she walks into an orgy. <laughs> Uh, we've got, it's just hilarious. We've got it all going on, and the best thing that's going on in this scene is not actually the Boimler Maneuver, which is my background here. Right. It's actually Billups sitting in the background with his mustache reading a pad, not engaging in any activity with anybody else because Andrew has to protect his virginity. He's yeah. so ace. So uh, the Love Mankind and the Sinner Repent are direct references to things that happened in the naked time in fact the love mankind graffiti is almost so similar it's red and everything to it's red and everything but even like the handwriting is almost exactly the same the only difference is that this is on the enterprise d assumably uh or it's actually the cerritos because it's their uh it's their, their it's their 10 forward yeah. their mess uh but yeah the love mankind and uh sinner repent is straight out of star trek the original series episode so we see some fun things going on we see um we see jen making out with another crewmate and mariner is actually turned on for a second there jen and then she jen's making out with the trill that rutherford barnes the one barnes, who saved yeah. the whales yes yes but then she looks to the side and sees boymore doing the boymore maneuver and jay behind him like flexing at her making eyes so like Definitely, that one makes her wince because boings. She freaks out. She starts screaming, "Nope, nope, nope!" Essentially, and runs outside. And we see uh, Ransom being ridden like a horse by his fanboy holding a Jamaharan statuette. Horgon. Oh, you're right. Horgon for Jamaharan. Yeah. Uh, Going back to Boimler doing the Boimler maneuver. Is he doing that on top of an eating surface? Yes. I mean, so okay. He's very flexible. Like it's quite impressive. That's not an easy maneuver to hold. No, I, I yeah, it's. And then I'm we sure see everyone's Shaq's tried. Don't lie, Sarah. don't lie. If you if you've ever done it on like a coffee table or a counter, you know, I mean, you just have to lie solid. It'll be fine. Oh god. So then we run into Shaxx and Ta'ana, and man, is oh, there cat man. scratch fever going on. Cation side um, boob is not something I needed to see this week, but it's there yeah. now. It's surprisingly saggy, like low, too. She's like, I've... she's like in her 50s. It's okay. Don't yeah. don't body shame the Cation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. I'll pass. So, so you know what? It's like, it all it's like bald herself. It's like the bald hair. Bald heads. In the 23rd century, nobody cares. Nobody cares. So Mariner spaces herself to end it all because nope, <laughs> which is very reasonable, all things considered. But she gets she gets like hugged to death by Ransom and his his fanboy as they get ejected she, from the, the ship. While she's getting sucked into the vacuum of space. Pretty much. So we cut to another scene of Starfleet Simulations results, and we see Bingston Jr. doing Escape of the Void. So that's the. That's the Voyager episode, Night. 
where they're like in the star space and they have to escape out. Uh, Rutherford failing the good of the many. Triple Trouble's also failing. Time Loop, which is probably cause and effect because that's the most time loopy episode. Unless you want to do madness to make the sanest... Yes. Magic to make the sanest man go mad. Yeah, that's a good one too. Uh, Or the Voyager episode... Um, so if you look at the bottom of this shot, though, there's a couple more things that are going on, too. The Tholian Web. Stevens is doing the Tholian Web, and Tenti's doing EMH Takeover. <laughs> the EMH Takeover? Uh-huh. That's great. I can only think it's, like, Warship, like, Warship Voyager, when the EMH goes crazy and evil or whatever and can, like, take over their ship kind of thing, maybe. Like, I can't think of another time where the EMH actually takes over. I don't think I recall any time that the EMH took over. I mean, the EMH took over when he was adopting the holographic templates of the other people yeah. and trying to save the crew from something else. But but he was also the emergency command hologram at one point, right? So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nope. All good. Uh, all good simulations. Yeah. So we cut to uh, Rutherford, Tendi, and Mariner all seemingly dejected in the captain's like office having a delicious meal if you look around what they're eating they have baguettes they've got a whole pizza they've got a box of apples they've got a barrel of cheese popcorn which is like my favorite thing on earth i fucking love cheese corn um they've got bottles of champagne they've got crab legs and steak and everything you could possibly want it's ridiculous it's a freaking feast absolutely and tendy discovers pesto love pesto so and it matches her complexion too it's perfect I don't think I've ever... Yeah, I've, I've had pesto just rarely. It doesn't really oh do it. Oh my gosh, thing. dude. It's my when, favorite pasta what, sauce. So, just, in a, just as an aside, if you want a pizza hack, like if you want to order pizza, but it's never really the right flavor, the right kind or whatever, have yeah. the ingredients at home and order the base pizza that's, that you can tolerate. Uh-huh. It gets to your house. You put the really good ingredients on. You heat it up in the oven for another 15 minutes. And then you have your exquisite, awesome pizza. And one of my go-to toppings is always pesto. So, funny story. I have... So, my dinner today was literally a pizza with a pesto drizzle on it. Oh, so, really? delicious. Yep. Maybe I'll, I'll have to try pesto. I have may not like my toppings choices, but as, as a pizza yeah. overall, it was really good. I went to Mellow Mushroom and got a... Uh, pepperoni pineapple pizza with a pesto drizzle. You got a mellow mushroom? What? Wait! Whoa! Wait! Yeah, we what? Got, we got one in this in this town. My uh, my fiance and I love going there. Yeah, oh. mellow mushroom. It's awesome. Hold up. Good times. Hold up. Okay. Yeah, you you concentrated on the mellow mushroom part. Renzo knows what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. Sir, you like pineapple on your pizza? I I do I do like it, sir. That is so brave. I love pineapple on my pizza too. Fuck anybody who says <laughs> oh, different. Thank God. <laughs> I thought I thought the idea of pineapple on pizza was the worst. I didn't want to touch it. I, and then you tried ew, it, and it's fine. I thought, I thought you people that like pineapple on pizza were psychopaths. Then I tried it. I was like, oh, this is damn good. I feel it necessary to report that my pending nuptials may be in danger as my partner side eyes me from across the room. <laughs> side <laughs> so eyes set to stun. <laughs> so we see the delightful like scene of them enjoying this food that they normally can't replicate. They just don't have the codes for it in their crappy lower deck replicator machine. So it's not that the machine can't make it, or maybe the machine is just kind of crappier. They just don't have, they just don't get it. They don't have the DLC for it. Basically, 
the recipes are DLC for these things. And then we cut back. Oh, and they run, wonder where is Boymore? Where has Boymore been? Like, because they haven't seen him. Um, and somebody mentions that he's probably or he's still in his exam. And then we cut to Boym's escaping the Borg cube again with like eighty baby Borgs and a whole bunch of drones. Several and babies, not, drones. Yeah. Yeah. And he's no longer using the escape sphere. He's now like being picked up by like a Starfleet like shuttle. Yeah. So, he's he's hailed a runabout, and that's exactly what this is too. It's like the first appearance of a runabout in a long time. We saw one last episode. Did we? Dude, yeah, that's what rescued. It's been a long fucking week, okay? Just give me a break. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, it, all right. It, it was what rescued them from the planet with Agama Agamus? Yeah. Agamus. The robot dude. Yeah. Agamus. Okay. Yeah, okay. We'll go with Agamus. Jeffrey Combs' robot voice. All right, cool. So he gets and then, out with And then the, he detonates. The cube. He detonates the cube. Boom. 94%. <laughs> Again, <laughs> to the computer, and I believe in one of these times where he's telling it again, the computer even reminds him, like, if you fail even once, we walk you out of this entirely. He he is so confident he can keep doing it, and this is what I was talking about before. Uh, everybody else's uh, simulations block them from doing anything creative, block them from doing anything that might be like experimental or clever. Mm -hmm. This one simulation is just letting him go buck wild in it. He can try things. Uh, he is being very creative about things. His first attempt was very, like, safe, and then he's just been adding more and more to try and match the points he wants. Why do you think that is? I think, the, I think Shari just forgot to edit this one, thinking that Borg, already terrifying enough, don't bother messing with it, nobody can pass the Borg one anyways. And right. Yeah, he do, she does remark later in the episode that that, ep that particular instance is supposed to be impossible, but Boimler has apparently learned a thing or five. And it, isn't it after... Right. Now, I, looking at your screenshot, Dag, he's sitting on that 99% score. So was it his attempt after that that he... No, he got 100 on that one. That's when he gets the call from Freeman, and he takes too long, and then it drops him to 99 because he was sitting there for too long. Well, right, but when did the... When did the Borg Queen come in? Doesn't she? A couple seconds after this. Yeah, he, okay, he'll right. he'll show up and he'll be like, "Yeah, I taught the Borg Queen empathy, and I'm saving everybody, and everything's great." Uh, stay in that simulation, Ensign. That's an order, and that's when things start going more haywire. And I was uh, I was watching this with a friend, and I was like, "The moral of the story is sometimes failure's okay." <laughs> is that a Picard quote? That sounds like a Picard quote. It was. Uh, yes, the Picard yes. quote was. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Failure Something is about, not weakness, it's life, basically. Yeah. So, yes, yes. You can do like you can do everything right and still fail. Yeah. That is not yep. weakness, that is life. Yes. So we cut yeah. back to the uh, the lower deckers as the command crew inside of the captain's ready room, uh, and they lament that they wonder how everybody else is doing, right? They probably realizing just how bad their jobs were, how's the captain doing all this? And uh, then we cut to them. We cut to Shax asleep in his bunk, uh, Ransom and uh, Freeman commenting on how easy this work is comparatively, and Tendi is just prepping for, for sleep, which Not involves... Ta'ana. Yeah, ta uh, yeah Ta'ana. You're right, Ta'ana. No, it's, ta it's fine. I do it too. For sleep. <laughs> they yeah. were doing some serious relaxing. That, that was the yeah. life for them. Uh, uh, I mean, Ransom did you see how Ta'ana was relaxing, though? 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, sleeping on, on Shax's butt. Yep. It's probably warm and bajoranly muscular, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, as soon as they're all awake, or sorry, all asleep and laying down, red alert, they all get called down to do their own evaluation. And unlike with the uh, main lower deckers, all four of them have to go into the same simulation here. All yeah. into the same pod. And it is called Klingon Encounter. And Mariner, sorry, and Freeman remarks that she knows a thing or three about Klingon. She's ready for this. She's good. Uh, and they find themselves in a storage bay. The ship is being attacked, and things fall out of their stacks. Crates fall out of their stacks. An officer pops in and tells them to stack crates because that's their job. And they try and ask him, like, wait, what's going on? Doesn't matter. Stack some crates. And he leaves them again. And they start stacking crates. Some of the things you can see out the door are hilarious. It, it was. They're going through all these different attack scenarios. People running on fire. Yep. The, the one dude came in and he was wearing a Robin Hood hat and which is I thought it was great to see that is all this action and stuff that's going on but your lower deck so it's like no keep stacking the crates and keep peeling the potatoes so that's one of the places where they complain about the fact that the crates are actually hexagonal if they were squares yeah. it'd be easier to stack a common thoughts slash criticism that Trekkies have had forever and Star Wars fans. Star Wars fans think that the crates in Star Wars make no sense either with their rounded corners. So, yeah. How do you stack? How the hell do you stack those? It's just all kind of confusing at this point. <sighs> so, then comes that commander again, this time in a Robin Hood uniform, asking if they have seen Q anywhere. Uh, all right. Cupid. Q more confusion from Freeman. Um, then he runs off. Then Shaxx has stacked a segment of them. Yeah, he's he's actually working hard to try and stack them, and then they well, get hit again, <laughs> and they fall. Mission failure. Yeah. Oh, and there was a reference about a Gemhadar attack as well, right? Yeah. So like, yeah. Yeah, they failed because they could not stack things successfully. It was ridiculous. It was hilarious. They had to stack crates, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. A crate's a crate, no matter the shape. So then there's, like, the joint mission? The joint test? Uh, between the, is that, the is that, lower deckers and the... Is those. that what it was? Was that on the holodeck, Final or test. was that a... No, that, I think it was using the actual ship. Okay. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. It was the it was the actual ship, and the it was... The floating um, head is still weird. In simulation it, mode or something? You know, if, if it was, I... I might have maybe maybe it was no I think it, it was something tells me it was simulation I mean I, I just watched it yesterday but kind of I'm like sure Max, it's all it's simulation week. but just because of the size of it they probably did it on the actual bridge and ran yeah. it like a sim yeah Anyways, okay the it, thing is escape from space dock yeah it's escape from space dock and it steals the from space dock and use it to save Spock on the Genesis planet it's literally it literally says it yeah yeah <laughs> It's literally Star Excelsior Trek 3. Class. Yeah. And you've got the Excelsior right behind the Cerritos chasing it too. So it's got the whole shebang. Yeah. And then the ship got backed into the doors. And it's like, we don't even have a, a scenario for this. No one's just backed the ship right into the doors. There's not a point value. It's just incomplete. 
But yeah, so we go through some scenes where Shax is stretching from his uncomfortable sleeping conditions, uh, which only triggers uh, Mariner into thinking about the cat scratch situation that he'd had before. So she yells at him, and uh, Freeman says some remarks that are unwelcome. So she uh, essentially sends her mom to the brig while they're freaking out. Their ship is backing up towards the doors, and they don't react in time and fail. Crunch. Well, the doors were opening. They were opening. They were opening, yeah. The the mother-daughter bickering on the bridge, I don't know about you guys, but I I think they're hilarious. Like, can you you just... Can you just picture that? I mean, really, during a mission or during the simulation that they start going going at it, arguing with each other, and they fail the simulation, which I could I could really see that happening with the, with the dynamic that those two have with each other. This was not out of place. Yeah, like, it, at all. it fits really well. Um, it is unfortunate, of course, right? Like right some sort of a professional distance between you and a relative or you and your kid makes a lot of sense. But yes. That's not how it's quite working out here. Uh, but yeah, it's nice to see Mariner in the captain's chair, Rutherford on one side and Tendi in the other. It was a very cool little scene, uh, but they failed. And then Ransom shows up from the turbo lifting like, it's over already? <laughs> Is that yeah, a good time? Was, yes. He was sent to get, get coffee. coffie. Yarr. Which I'm sure Mariner quite enjoyed doing. Oh, yeah. Because she and he do not get along too well, it appears. Hmm. Nope. They, they don't, and we've we've seen that several times before. They just mm-hmm. kind of rub each other the wrong way. I think they'd make a great power couple, but that's all besides the point. Yeah. But yeah, so we see then Shari leaving the bridge, noting that they don't even know how at any points. It's an incomplete. They don't even know how to grade that. And they uh, head down to the uh, mess hall. The mess. They don't have a name for it. It's not like fancy, like ten forward. Yeah. Did Voyager had a name for it? No. No, I don't recall. Huh. Neelix's kitchen. Ugh. Come to Quark. Sure. Quark is fun. Quarks is fun for everyone. <laughs> All right. So in the lounge, everybody's just talking, having drinks. They're kind of sad that they didn't make any points. There's definitely, like, some bonding here between uh, Mariner and Freeman again, commenting about how, like, we could have done so much better. Um, we see Kayshawn in the background, so he's still around, which is mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to see the crew definitely interacting more between the high ranks and the low ranks. Yeah. Uh, we see Ransom having drinks with a whole bunch of ensigns, which is great. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty logical conclusion, which is what they do. That hey, maybe this isn't about testing us; it's actually about getting us to bond and work together. That's a reasonable thing. There are plenty of things that companies do that in these days, where it's like uh, trust fall exercises, right? Trust each other on your team, but really, it's just to make you and your team work together. Are like they still my company. Doing that? Oh yeah, my company sent us to do um, archery dodgeball. Essentially, they were arrows, but the tip is like a big old mushroom or like a big like marshmallow or something. It doesn't hurt. But it's like team building because you're you half your team versus the other half the team. You you shoot these games. things at each other. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, tons of fun. Y- y- even Again, if you put a ball on the end of an arrow, 
It didn't hurt at all. I'm running around. Get, really? I mean, there's no point. There's not like a point in the ball. Yeah. Well, no, I know that, but I, I don't know. It just sounds like an accident waiting to happen. It, no, they, they literally didn't hurt. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Anyways, point is, the whole time is teams that are switching around. People are just working together. It's a lot of fun. Then at the mm. end, they would have had, had us do a firing squad of our boss. Right? That's Everybody cool. with their shots. Our boss stands. He has two little shields, and we just had as many shots as we wanted on him, and That's we all great. had a blast. It was a it was a great time. You right? know what else? But team building. What else it reminds me of? There's a game called Marvel Champions. It's a deck building game, and in the beginning, I was playing this with two of my friends who we were all kind of like trying to prioritize our turn in the setup, and we were losing a lot. And we came to the conclusion in the beginning that like. This game was made by people that hate players because we can't seem to like optimize our turns. And as we kept playing and playing and playing, we naturally progressed into this very cooperative, very like, hey, if the two of you are going to do this in your turn, I'll do this on my turn, take one for the team, and then you guys can move ahead, and then we'll just coordinate that way. And we got to the conclusion that this wasn't a game that was about, you know, you're not supposed to optimize your turn. You're supposed to communicate and talk about how you guys can optimize the round as opposed to your individual turns and after that it just became really really easy to win because we got a really good flow for how our decks work together and the synergies mm. and then it was just like oh we were fighting crossbones and we lost three times and then now we're going through this gauntlet style thing we got to red skull and just poof, done now we're on to the next adventure which is guardians of the galaxy and i was like man the the way you went into the game change dynamically that sounds awesome i like how that like, worked it's kind of like how it is when we uh used to play gauntlet ah uh, gauntlet gotta, slayer yeah right yeah gotta coordinate work as a team and real quick real quick renzo i you missed a, uh, one of the other simulations or instances after the backed into the door of the space knock we have the crystalline entity that hasn't happened yet not yet that's okay. That's that's after the the drink. I see. I've got these scenes all. Just yeah, that mind. that's part of the I lesson. I got it written down. I should just the episode. Okay. So, anyways, they do this whole like moment where the captain and and Freeman and Mariner realize that hey, wait a second, maybe this isn't about like testing us in our competency. It's about building us up as a team. Like, yeah, yeah. let's go confront Shari and tell her that we understand what she was doing. So they go down to uh, Shari and Yem's office and tell her that they figured it out, and it's all about just bringing us together. And then Yem just laughs at them, like, nope, y'all suck. This isn't about that at all. You have all just failed. Um, and I'm going to report it, and that's going to save my job, is essentially what she says. Which is weird in a scarcity-free you know, reality, saving your job wouldn't be seem to be like a priority, but okay, I guess maybe for status. Yeah. Well, I've got a lot of problems with a post-scarcity setup, which that in of itself is like a, a whole other episode because who is the one picking to be like the toilet unclogger and the waste management guy but do we still need toilets to be unclogged it's all out of it now well, get your know. sonic today if if i could if i could do anything i wanted i'm just having a hard time imagining that there are people that actually pick to do the things that are like you know the holodeck 
scrubbing or something. I don't know. I don't know. They don't pick to do that. They're in Starfleet, and their orders are to do that. Yeah, in in Starfleet, but they they still have to have, I'm sure they're still recreational holodecks. The, The holodecks, to me, doesn't seem like something that would be specific to just... You know, Starfleet use. If I if I had a hollow suite on quarks and those kinds of things happened, I would literally just have a hollow program for scrubbing. Oh, uh, okay. Well, the hollow yeah, so clean. It's would, a self clean like your yeah, oven. No, it would literally be like computer run Baryon suite, <laughs> and then it just cleans out the holodeck. Done. Outsourcing your work. So going back to the episode. Um, Shari laughs at them, tells them that their scores are so far below passing. The entire crew's going to have to get reassigned. The drill's purpose was to, like, save her job with Starfleet, you know, etc. She's been on all the hero ships, and everybody passes with flying colors, so she needed something like this. A ship that was was careless enough to leave four of its own people outside of the ship on a spacewalk. Um, But... They respond that, well, well, then we'll retake the test and we'll do better this time now that we know what's going on. Um, but they're locked out because they've all already failed except for one person who's still running one of the tests. And that's when they look up and see that Boymore is still doing the Borg encounter. And I believe his point score is 98% about that most recent one. Mm-hmm. And he's running it again. He's a maniac. Absolute maniac. And that's when we cut back inside of the testing tube and we see uh, we see Boimler with like 15 babies strapped to him and like six or seven drones attached to him with rope and such. And he's about to climb through the little hole grate that takes him to the escape class that he's got. And the score says 100% on him. He's done it. And then the captain tells him he just needs to buy them time. And just in having that conversation, it dings him down to 99% already. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the drones look at him because he's been lingering too long. <laughs> I, he even brags about like he beat the Borg Queen in chess and then taught her empathy. He was saving most of the Borg crew. Like it's 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 hilarious that he went to that kind of effort in there. He spent so many cycles in there that he figured out that oh, I get points by teaching the Borg Queen or beating the Borg Queen at chess. Done. We'll do that for. 15 times until I know all her moves or whatever. He just happens to run across the queen cell and there's a chessboard and he's like, why would you put a chessboard in? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've never really learned how to play chess. It's one of those things that you have to keep doing and doing and doing to really get it. You can get it and not be good at it. Like, I know how to play chess. I'm competent at chess, but I don't think I'm good at it. But I know how to play. I can teach you sometime if you want, Big J. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're a knight. Yes, that is the joke. <laughs> Alright, so Boymore's running around from the drones. He's just escaping them. Uh, Freeman and Mariner, on the other hand, are rushing up to the bridge, and Yem is chasing them, or at least her floating head is chasing them, kind of like laughing, taunting them as they go. She's read all about life on a starship and their work in space. They're not reliable, they can't be trusted to do anything. Um, so they reach the bridge, and uh, Freeman orders Sunny to do a long-range scan, find something dangerous, and they find a Tetrion wormhole with a chroniton radiation stream, a whole bunch of numerous crystalline entities, uh, including crystalline entities consuming planets, uh, and Freeman orders Rutherford to take them to one of the entities, and uh, Yem notes how in their drills, the crystal entity is very deadly, and she wants to see how they handle it. 
So we cut to more Boimore escaping the Borg drones. Again, this is where we see him interact with the Queen again. Didn't they teach you empathy? It didn't stick. Do we know if who's the voice actress for the Queen in this episode? Yes, we really do. Like, yeah, we do. Was it, it Alice Cridge? It was. Yep. Okay. I yeah. really thought that was great. I was like... Yeah. I waited for the credits just, just for that because I, I thought I, I recognized the voice. So if, hey, if what's is her last name Krieg? Cridge. K R I G E Cridge. Oh. Okay. If you're in the audience and you're listening to this, you can correct us. I'm totally down with that. But also if you're in the audience, you don't know who Alice is at all. Alice was the Borg Queen in First Contact, originated the role, was replaced by Susanna Thompson in Voyager, and then reprised her role again in uh, Voyager Endgame. Mm-hmm. So it's the first appearance of a queen in twenty years. So apparently we're going to see a whole lot of them in the next few months, too. In February, we're going to see a whole lot of Borg Queen, it looks like. Yes. Oh, my God. 20 years. Yep. Okay. Cool. So we see the Borg Queen interaction, which is great. It's a lot more first contact scenes for Boimler. He gets the whole, like, she blows the sweat on his chest kind of thing. (laughs) Like, it's it's very (laughs) seductive Borg Queen once again. And the thing that he was in was, like, the thing that that data was in 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 first contact the operating table or yep. the seducing table whatever you want to call it so we arrive table. with the cerritos at a crystal entity it looks great it looks like a really nice cg model um it's very fractal and it is definitely sucking energy out of something uh shari is losing her shit when freeman says to go in closer her head detaches again <laughs> Um, is that like an, an anger response when your head just pops off and starts floating around? Sounds like a really good defense mechanism. <laughs> the body's going to die, lose your head. If I remember correctly, um, her species isn't supposed to be like one entity. That's why it's uh, this one calls itself this, right? It's like a collective that's like three entities yeah. that move together as one, right? Yes, and she continued with the this one recommendations here too, so it worked. Yeah. Do you, do you think that they like uh, interchange with each other like just you know friends or, or spouse like hey i want to wear your head today yeah okay. i would have thought it Let's was more on the lines of like this is like a union it's like a married thruple of three body parts that stay together for life after they find each other kind of thing like you're the head i want to have for the rest of my life says the torso to the head kind of thing right. this this is the this is the part that interests you guys not the part where the two other body parts defy gravity no, I mean, no, gravity that's... is something you're supposed to fly. Haven't you seen Wicked? Right. No one? Yeah. No? Dad, you don't like musicals? Wh- Witches of Eastwick? No. no. <laughs> something Wicked This Way comes? No, no. No. Adina Menzel in green? Adela Dazim in green, yes. It's Adina Menzel. What the fuck is Adela da- But Is that how Alec Baldwin <laughs> mispronounced her name that one time uh, at the Emmys? John Travolta. John Travolta. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a delightful little thing. Anyways. That joke, staying alive, huh? Uh, I thank Q-Force for that joke, to be honest. Q-Force is this Netflix comedy. It recently referenced that, and it reminded me all about it. <laughs> Anyways, so they're at the, the Christmas Entity. And the Cerritos is getting real up in its grill. Um, it is getting battered by energy fields. The computers are starting to freak out. Um, the ship is getting tossed to and fro to the point where 
uh, Shari is split in three pieces and she's rolling around on the floor in three separate pieces again. <laughs> nice to see a crystalline entity again and nice to know that yeah. there's just a family of them that live out here. Nice well, to know sure. that the one that Dr. What's-Her-Name blew up wasn't the only one. Yeah, yeah, what was what was her name? But yeah, the whole use the whole sonic wave or basically turn up the bass. Is it Graviton Pulse or something like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's so, always a Graviton Pulse involved somewhere. Yep. Hey, gravity's a powerful thing. Yep. Unless you're so, a Pandaren with body parts that fly. They sing the right song, and she's popular. Right? Like, it's a thing. This is not Oz. Cut to Boimler with the queen, like, feeling up his head and, like, blowing on his cheeks. Um, and he's getting Didn't poked he say with something the other like dwarves. That, that actually feels good. That felt nice, yeah. <laughs> so then they warp oh, out of boy. the crystal entity. Uh, Shari's a little freaked out. And uh, the crew who's watching this whole thing going on from the mess hall or the lounge, like, looks out the window, sees what's going on. As soon as they start getting a little distance, they go right back to doing what they were doing. Finishing mm -hmm. their drinks, serving more drinks. Nothing's here interesting, right? And uh, back on the bridge, we see Shari, like, breathing, like, a deep sigh of relief. Like, holy God, I almost died there. And the rest of the crew is like, meh. Just not, the Tuesday kind not of thing. even a deal. This is the yep. stuff we go through all the time. But so, if Freeman yeah. orders the attendee to scan for something more dangerous, hoping to find a black hole. So uh, they find a temporal, sorry, they find a black hole feeding on a temporal rift nearby, and Freeman orders them to go to it. Uh, Yem is demand is saying that she can't be blackmailed. So uh, Freeman goes, well, we do this kind of stuff every day, so we're just going to keep doing terrifying things that scare you until you change our scores. <laughs> did did you notice or like the the callback to the motion pictures wormhole effect inside the bridge? Oh, absolutely. That I thought that great. was great. Loved it. Yeah. It's the first time I think we've ever seen that in Trek besides TMP. Yeah. Which is probably for the best because it was very disorienting, honestly. Oh, yeah, kind of was. No, belay that photon <laughs> order. Belay that phaser order. The phasers don't work because the warp drive was out of balance. It they had wouldn't, to use photons. It wouldn't yeah. be beyond track unless the three of us were at each other's throats on technicality. <laughs> That's it's what just, makes it fun. Just how it works, man. We all have three different cannons. They're all armed with three different things, and we just go with it. <laughs> yeah. So the the temporal distortion that's going on from the temporal wave is what freaks out Shari enough that she changes the score. The Cerritos one hundred percent pass, and then they back away from the black hole. And uh, Freeman admits that well, it wasn't really a temporal black hole; it was a regular black hole. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a simple fix, like Mr. Rutherford, move us five inches to the left or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, just, is it really? Are, are they really different? It's fine. A regular black hole and a temporal black hole. No, no, because a black hole in and of itself is a temporal event, given how close you might be to it. So well, a temporal this black hole was a black hole feeding off a temporal rift, which might actually be something different. Ah, it would be a nexus. Like a Nexus. I wish we had more Nexus. Can we see a Nexus in Season 3, please? 
Just give me more. Hey Nexus. McMahon, if you watch our if you watch our stuff, give us some <laughs> Nexus, please. He's gonna be like, no, Sorry. I blocked that full track Nexus a long time ago. I'm like, no. I, I was just pulling up the the picture of that black hole because I wanted to make sure I, I thought I was seeing what I was seeing, but if you look at it, it really has this reminiscence. Well, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. Again, my mouth is not working tonight. Basically, it looks like the black hole from Interstellar. Yep. Do you guys yeah, which, think that at? which is Absolutely. what black holes look like. So, fun fact for anybody who doesn't know, there was a lot of research done after the movie came out uh, because the amount of computing power that was put into rendering the black hole for Interstellar was greater than the amount of computing power that has ever been applied to modeling a black hole. So they found behaviors in that rendered model that were surprising for physicists, like actual cosmologists thought it was surprising, but when they did the math on it, they're like, well, shit, it's right. That's what they should look like. Everything else before this has been wrong. This is what they should look like. Are you kidding? Yeah. And then then they they concentrated uh, some re- severely detailed uh, telescopes on a portion of space and had to feed just terabytes after terabytes of data through a, a re- an image renderer to pull up this blurry-ish image of a black hole that confirmed what the data said it should look like. Black holes Thanks, look Jay, like Think that. of it this way. Mm-hmm. When you're trying to image a black hole, you can't see it directly, so all you can see is the distortions that it causes and how you can see light that lenses around it. Right. So they had 9,000 terabytes of essentially nothing, and from the computational analysis of it, they could essentially come up with a perfect picture of a black hole, and it looked just like the ones from Interstellar, basically. Dang, that's a and lot of data. That, that research was year, like a year or two after Interstellar too. So they'd been working on it for decades, right? But it was done after the movie came out and the movie simulation had been accurate enough to predict what it actually looked like. Holy shit. Can I do the thing? Right. Talk. Can I do the thing? What's it? Can I do, do the, the thing? thing? I'll do, do the, the thing. thing. The do thing? the thing. The more you know. <laughs> so yeah, so if you see black holes and shit, they should probably look at the ones in Interstellar. Okay, so yep. basically they look like that. Yep. Nice. So they cheated, they got their 100% score, and uh, this is where we learn that fun little detail that uh, Shari Yin Yem had actually been cheating and greasing the scores to begin with. She had made the tests unpassable for the most part anyways, so that's kind of why they were having so much trouble on all of their emissions. But not the horses. The horses just didn't like her. That wasn't her doing. All about keeping your job. That's all it was. Meanwhile, Shax notices that there's still noises coming inside of the, uh, excuse me, the hollow pod, and we see that Boymore has now been fully assimilated, and that's where we get the name of the episode. He is Excretus of Borg, and he's had his head shaved too, and he looks good with it. It's a good look for him. <laughs> I'm really glad that they they messed with my expectations here because when we watched the trailer, I was like, oh crap, Bo- Boymore gets gets assimilated. What's this going to be about? And then boom, here it is. It's a holodeck program, and thus the name of the episode is a riff on the name of a fifth season episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, I Borg. Yes. See, that's why I don't watch the trailers for the the, the next week's episode. But we get the bad news is that on the outside, it looks like the computer has decided that Boimware failed and gave him an 8%. Oh, because But we don't tell Boimware that. Boimler Which is, is the right thing to do. Exhausted and sad and needs a drink, and he totally passed. 
fun detail, when they open the pod up, Billups opens the pod and you look inside for a second while the thing is still like dematerializing the hologram, it looks straight out of the TNG holodecks with the yellow grid, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Well, that yellow grid grid has been maintained while they were in looking at like the pop up of the epi- of the the trial name, which was yeah, is very cool. Mm-hmm. So after they pull out Boimler, they're telling him like he's still got a hundred percent. They guide him to the lounge so he can have like a drink. Um, Freeman tells him that they owe him a debt of gratitude. Uh, yeah, it's this whole good touching scene of thanking Boimler for his sacrifice and uh, protecting him from the knowledge that like yeah dude you fucked up. You, you failed your test but you saved the ship. Well so was him getting him getting assimilated was what dropped his score right? We don't know. We don't know exactly uh, what went. I mean that's been, probably part of it. He probably got some for captured. He probably got <clears> some for flirting with the board queen. He probably <sighs> lost points for liking it when she blew on his face. Right? Like True. Points all over. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the whole point of the mission is to escape the Borg, not get assimilated and become one with the Borg. Amen. Wherever, sure. wherever the whoever programmed like excretus of Borg was like, this would be funny if, but never meant it. That was just a, a coding, a developer joke in in the coding of that hollow program. <laughs> or maybe it's more adaptable than that. The computer that runs this hollow program was just like, oh, I'll have fun with it. Yeah. Sure. There's a there could so, be an AI in there, sure. I'm okay with this. So we cut to our last scene, another heartwarming scene where we've got Ransom and Freeman talking to the lower deckers, being like, "You guys did great. Yem has been resi- has resigned from Starfleet due to on the job stress." Um, and Mariner notes it's, it feels good to ruin the career of a jerk. Freeman agrees. It's all this like good heartwarming banter here and there, and uh, the senior officers announce that they are going to reward or thank the Lower Deckers with a new replicator in the mess hall uh, that is programmed to the senior officer menu codes. So they get to have all the nice foods from upstairs back in their own area. And uh, pesto. And pesto. But Boymore even asked if they get the lobster mac and cheese with the bread atop. Which was and, a reference uh, back to like episode two of season one or something. Yeah. That's so good. So the neat thing here is that... Uh, Shax makes, I think, his most honest joke, one of his few jokes in the whole show, where the Borg didn't manage to take away his appetite even when they assimilated everything else from him. <laughs> so, one thing yeah. I really love here that that totally emphasizes that comment that was made earlier about how their replicators only replicate one slice of pizza at a time is if you look at Boiler and Mariner's pizzas, they're carbon copies of each other. They're exactly the same pizza. Yeah. So here's something I wanted to talk about too, just because this has come up so much in this episode. This week there were some uh, images that were released out of Picard season three. Nothing that spoils any kind of plot. Nothing like that, Big J. Don't worry. Okay. But one of the pictures that was released by the showrunner was of a uh, food replicator interface when looking at different food recipes, right? Mm-hmm. And it rates each food as having a difficulty for replication, like a complexity rating, right? Okay saying that certain foods are harder to replicate accurately than others. So ideally, sure. making like a grilled uh, or fried fish is more com- complex than making tomato soup because the number of ingredients that have to be replicated is just less, right? Sure, yeah. Cool, and detail and all that, right? So that makes sense then that certain replicators are going to have access to more computational power to make more complex foods. Pesto being more complex than oatmeal, right? 
Well, uh, okay. It's, it's not uh, a matter of power. It's about computer time here. Right, right. I understand that. But why, why would they have a replicator for the Lower Decks crew and make it feel like you just get this one where you have a limited selection, one slice of pizza at a time? I get that there's... Okay, so it takes energy and power, sure. It, to me, it seems like if you don't have the energy and power for, I don't know how many replicators they have, but it shouldn't be that much of an issue. So why would they have a replicator that's locked out for all these other things? To me, it just seems like... Because you can't the, trust the kids with the energy true. resources of the ship. Well, so I was going to take a slightly different stance, but that's basically it, right? Think of it this way, right? If you're going to make food, right, and your ship mm -hmm. has limited computer time, right, if the majority of people are automatically ordering simple foods, then your computer's limited computing resources aren't going to be wasted. Only a few people can have the full menu unlocked. Yeah, that's a little bit of classism, I guess, right? That's the word. But, but meritocracy. Meritocracy. But meritocracy. You can get yourself a higher rank and get access to the greater menu list. I, I don't know. It just or you can quit Starfleet and go eat at Cisco's and yeah, have real food. It just kind of seems very un Starfleet to me, honestly. Which is, if you're unless you're a higher rank, you're not going to be able to get the good food and the computing power on these starships. Again, I'm having a hard time thinking that the the computing power really needs to be saved by not replicating grilled fish. Yeah, but how many times has the ship's computer been taken over by some really weird malevolent thing? Come on. Also, think about the multitasking, Big J. We're not talking about, like, a single processor here. We're essentially talking about, like, it's a server farm kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. We've got a third of them are probably being used for engineering tasks, keeping everything under control. The warp core is a third of resources and the mm -hmm. fusion reactors, all of that being maintained by the computer, that's like a third. Probably another third is scientific duties, scanning that nebula over there, seeing that little particle of dust that's coming towards us, tracking it, making sure it won't hit the ship, keeping mm -hmm. the deflector dish running at full power. Uh, all that requires a ton of computer resources, obviously, right? Right. And the, the computer itself has got to be replicating things, transporting people, uh, have to have extra computing power in case of red alert, right? Because if you get red alert, everything has to get turned up to eleven. Yeah, uh, it's they they can't they can't let their resource usage go above like seventy percent because of red alert possibilities, right? Right. So like it's hmm. they they have to live okay. on an edge. So not everybody gets all the good food on a ship with limited resources. I'll bet you that the, the menus on the Enterprise D were better for even the most basic ensign compared to like a lieutenant on this ship because the ship is bigger and has more resources. Okay. All right. I have a big question, and it just came to me, and I want to ask it, and I'm sorry if it's interruptive. How That's many okay. how many episodes of this season has Boiler saved the day? Because this is like the third in a row. Huh. In this episode, Boimler, by staying in the program, assists with helping the ship do the thing. Last week, Boimler like jukes Mariner and Boim's uh, Agamus. In the episode before that. The spy humongous. Uh, there was another episode where Boimler saved the day. I mean, he gets transporter cloned, so he kind of saved the day there by saving oh, the crew. In the one before, so the one 
in episode six, the Spy Humongous, that's when Boimor does not save the ship. That's when he's with the red shirts and shit, and he's like obnoxious that whole episode, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, he does because he saves Tendi. He uses the replicators to stop Tendi from being a oh, a, I guess you're right. Yeah, emotional yeah, yeah. rage machine. Right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the, fair. the green uh, so scorpion monster. Boimler is okay, really. Duplers. Duplers no, in episode he, five. Yeah, no, that him. He's just drinking with Mariner in that episode. Cool. So then, episode four is Mugato Gumato. He saves the the mission that time. Uh-huh. Um, <clears> uh huh. Um, I'm looking at Boimler. Tom Paris to see. Boimler gets Boimler gets his ass beat by Tom Paris. Right. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't save the ship on that one. Well, the ship wasn't uh, really in danger. Right. Yeah. There's there's no. The Kazons were invading. Okay, that is serious. The Kazon are like trailer trash hey. Klingons. Hey, Show Boim- some respect. Boimler, <laughs> Boimler gave Paris a nice little nostalgic fight. It was fine. <laughs> then there's Kazon. His eyes open. Uh, I don't think. Boimler really saves no, them. No, no, no. It's Tendi, Tendi and Rutherford save them because they're the ones who are like, why don't we just take this access corridor down and it'll be fine. Yes. Yep. So you're right. Boimler has has been the hero on like four more than episodes. an occasion. Yeah. yeah. And then the first one for the season is Strange Energies, which is the <laughs> I love the Ransom episodes. Uh, but yeah, that one's more Mariner saving the day into Anna saving the day. Right, but it's the mm-hmm. second episode where Boimler gets transporter cloned and has to come back to the Cerritos, right? Yeah. yeah. But even then, he saves the away team. Oh, that's true. He did save that away team, and he saves himself yeah. too. Right. Okay. Well, okay. We've got two more episodes of Lower Decks, and I'm mm-hmm. enjoying going over these with you guys. Oh yeah, so, it's, yeah. It's always fun. This is this so. is so wild. This season has been great. Do you guys have a rating you want to give on this episode? It looks like we all pretty much loved it, but do you want to give it like a rating of any kind? You know, it it really is one of my one of my favorite episodes of not just the season but of the series. I'm torn between giving it a rating of nine out of ten identical slices of pizza <laughs> and and six or, or what? No, wait, that would be inappropriate. Seven out of nine. Baby Borg. Oh, okay. Ooh. I like that. Oh boy. Um, I think that for me, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this one of uh, eight out of ten Boimler maneuvers. Oh, good that's, one. Good one. That, that's a stable <laughs> wormhole. <laughs> I was going to give this episode three Pandronian body parts out of three, oh. but I mean yours was certainly more aggressive than mine. <laughs> My body parts worry. are more aggressive than... Wow. That's a compliment. Yeah, really. Dag, you want to swap heads just sometime? You know, just to... Swapping heads has <laughs> other meanings there, Big J. Be careful what you ask for. You're right. Phrasing. Phrasing. I forgot it was phrasing. I said Friday. seven out of nine, not six out of nine. I got that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, any other final comments before we break? I thought um, break. No, it's it's October. There's two episodes of Lower Decks left, and then at the end of the month, Star Trek Prodigy premieres. And oh, if boy. you are interested at all in uh, three grown dudes with facial hair riffing a kids show, let us know. Something sounds very, uh, you're going to be investigated about 
that this, comment. Uh, this one, officer, this is the moment where he admits to it. <laughs> I, but seriously, though, I, uh, I, I missed all of that, and now I feel really bad. <laughs> you get a two-week break. You get a two-week break between the last episode of Lower Decks, which is October 14th, and then the first episode of Prodigy, which is October 28th. So there will be a short gap. We'll try and fill it in with maybe some probably an interview with James Swallow, who just oh, are we telling people already? Well, I mean, they're already they've already got the Dayton Ward thing. So Dayton Ward, obviously, you listened to that already. James Swallow's writing book two of Coda. It comes out in the middle of October, so we definitely got to book that. And we yep. already have an interview slated with David Mack for part three of the Coda series. Uh, avidly reading the novel, um, not as we speak, but like this weekend, I'm going to get a copy, and uh, it's um, yeah, it's going to be a busy couple of months. Yes, it will. Looking forward to it. Hey, Big J, do we have anybody we want to thank today? Do oh, we? for the love, of, yeah, we do. Why do I do this every every week? I don't know why I forget. I'm going to have to like. Give myself some kind of reminder to mention that if you do a search for Beyond Track Podcast, you'll pretty much see us on every social media platform. Everywhere. Yep, Patreon, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, Twitter's no, the big one. You got it. Twitter, I would have to say, is our, our largest and strongest presence. I mean, Twitter's how I get to engage with all the fans and hang out and learn what they like and throw polls down. Yeah. And it's just, it's a lot of fun there. And, so and real harass and harass Star Trek actors yeah. to do things for us. <laughs> well, I mean, we do have a surprise in our sleeves still with a yep. uh, an interview that we did recently that we haven't released yet, so that'll be coming out soon. So if you like yep. celebrity interviews, you definitely want to you, you, You've got to stay tuned for us. Just follow yeah. us. Follow us on Twitter. Smash that like button on YouTube. Subscribe to us on Anchor. Love us to death. Um, like these folks who love us. <clears throat> so good segue there. <clears throat> Jeez, excuse me. Um, so special thanks to our contributors at Stephanie Baker with Patreon and Anchor, Nora Hickson, Patreon, S. Tam, Patreon as well. Same with Anne Marie, Patreon, and Jim Cook, who's uh, on Anchor. And for the screen caps, John from Cygnus-X1.net. Thank you so much for continuing to do these screenshots. They are awesome. We have them as our backgrounds when we're doing the podcast recordings and we reference them while we're talking. So keep up the great work on that. We love it. Thank you. And those are the social media links and the people to thank. Yeah. So yay, I did my job. Stay tuned for one week from today when we drop our review of the next episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. And as always, thank you for going boldly with Beyond Trek Podcast. Yep. Good night, everyone. Going to Wendy's. Yes, Wendy's again. We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.